In December, the Leadership Habit Podcast will be taking a look back at our first season and reflecting on all we've discussed so far. We picked out some of our favorite episodes from the past year to share with you. I hope you enjoy this look back and can't wait to bring you more information and inspiration in the new year to come. For this week's look back at 2019, I chose season one, episode eight, Sales, Love and Enjoyment with Andy Bounds. Andy is a sales expert, international speaker, Crestcom faculty member, and an award-winning author. I picked Andy's episode because he has such a fresh take on approaching sales and how not to look at sales as a dirty word, but rather a skill we all need in our daily lives. From convincing a child to go to bed on time to closing that multi-million dollar sale, the principles remain the same. I also really enjoyed his update of the ABC of sales. Instead of always be closing, his version is, afters, building certainty, and closing. There is so much good advice in this episode. I think it's a great one to review and get ready to start a successful 2020. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall, and I am here with Andy Bounds. I am very excited to be here with him and interview him. And for those of you that don't know him, he was awarded Britain's Sales Trainer of the Year, that amazing, profound title. I'm so excited to have him here to discuss our opportunities to improve our sales, to learn how to be more influential, and to overall create success within our career. So, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Jen, thank you. It's lovely to be here with you today. So, Andy, for those of you that aren't familiar with you, I know that in Britain, they likely are very familiar, but some of our audience may not have met you or heard you before. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are? Sure, of course. So, so my name is Andy Bounds. And as you say, it's my job to help my customers um, sell more and or to communicate better. So, uh, for example, we've helped um, uh, one of the UK-based banks win their largest ever deal. That's worth two and a half billion pounds. I've worked in 40 countries. I've written three books on this stuff. And the reason I have a different insight to it to, to anyone else I've met is to do with my family background, Jen. My mum is blind. So when I was learning how to speak as a two-year-old, as a three-year-old, um, I was sat on my mum's knee and my mum was teaching me, but she was teaching me as a blind person. So she taught me to communicate from someone else's point of view, someone who doesn't see the world the way that I do. Now, when we're selling, our customers are blind to why they should give us money. Our colleagues are blind to why they should put the extra effort in. And so I'm, if you like, very good at helping people communicate with blind people so other people see things from our point of view and do what we want to. How powerful to be able to help, you know, shift and create that new awareness or that new line of sight a new way of looking at things. Uh, I think it's going to be a really great discussion because we're here to talk about one of your key products that you use within your business, which is your online video club. Um, Uh What does your online video club do? Okay, so um, what I find is that, uh, well, in two words, sell more. So it helps people make more sales. But what I find is the way that we often learn is we go into a, a training room and we hear some wonderful stuff. And then we go back into our workplace and sometimes it's a Wednesday afternoon and you think, oh, I had some training six months ago. I'm sure it will be relevant on this meeting, but I can't quite remember it. And so what I wanted was I wanted to produce something which people could use at exactly the time they needed. So, for example, one of the videos on there is called How to Feel Confident in a Scary Meeting. 
You know, so if you've got a meeting, what you do is you watch the video. It's only five minutes long. You press pause and then you go into the meeting feeling okay. Another one is called great ways to introduce yourself when you're networking. So if you're walking to a networking mingling event, you watch the video on the way there, if you like, and you go in and you say the right thing straight away. So my idea is I wanted to give people something which was super quick, like the just five-minute videos, but super timely because you can look at it when you need it, not six months ago. Right. Well, that's so important because I can tell you that I've been to a plethora of trainings throughout my career. And yes, if you don't have it accessible to you, you do forget it. So that's nice that you have that on-demand option so people can really think what type of support, like, am I going into this meeting that is unchartered territory and how do I show up in a way that's confident or how do I network in the way that, you know, I can at least show people who I really am and articulate the value that I really can bring to them. You know, one of the challenges when we say the word sales, right? Like sales can see like, oh, I'm not in sales. Like, what are you talking about? I have, I have nothing to add to that. Or maybe I'll turn off of this podcast because I don't have a sales role. Mm-hmm. Not true, right? What do you think about that? The dirty word of sales. <laughs> yeah, it's a great thing. I mean, there's two points there. Firstly, do we sell or not? And secondly, is it a dirty word or not? And um, what I mean by selling is it is convincing someone to do what you want. So when I have, as we call him in my house, child four, when I want child four to go to bed, well, child four is six. So if I can't say it in a certain persuasive way, he's either not going to go or he's going to go in a very grudging fashion, or I might be able to win because I have to raise my voice, but I don't want to be that sort of parent. So I want to be able to sell to him the fact that I want him to go upstairs, but in a way he's happy with. And the skills you need with a six-year-old boy often are quite similar to the skills you need with an executive board of a large bank. So we all sell, whether we're trying to get customers to give us money or our children to go to bed or our partner to let us go and play with our friends instead of having to do the housework one weekend or whatever it is. So the way I think about selling is it's helping the other person say yes to what we want in whatever guise that takes. And therefore, I don't think it's a dirty word because sometimes if I can get child four to go to bed, it means he'll have a better day tomorrow because he's gone to bed. That's not a dirty thing. That's a helpful thing. If I help an executive board to, to buy something that makes them billions of dollars, well, that's not a dirty thing. That's a helpful thing. So best practice selling is not a dirty word. It's a helpful word, but it's not just about getting customers to give you money. It's about getting people to say yes to things that they want. Yeah, it's. I love that. The reframe, right? It's helpful. Uh-huh. It's helpful for that business to be able to save money by you helping them. It's healthy for your, for child four. I love that it's child four. That's what we call them. (laughs) To be able to, you know, have them go to bed on time so they can get that rest so their brain can develop so they're ready for the day. And so it is time to kind of, you know, reframe how we look at sales because regardless of your position, you are going to want to know how to influence and how to help people. Yeah, and people are very committed to things that are in their interest. And they're also very committed to things that they themselves have thought of. Yeah. So if I think our weekly update meetings are a bit boring, if I say, team, our update meetings are boring, therefore we're going to do X, I might be coming at it from the right mindset. 
But actually what happens is it's not a very good sale. But if I say to people, you know how you're really busy, I'd love to see if I can give you an extra half hour, an hour a week, would that be okay? Well, they go, yeah, because they want more time. And then I can say, well, you know our update meetings we have every week, how do you think we might be able to speed those up so we can free up some time for us? And then they might come up with some good ideas. So they see it's in their interest, and then they come up with the ideas, but that means that I get what I want, which is for the meetings to be shorter. So everyone wins. Now, I would call that selling. I haven't used the word sale, but I've come up with something which is helpful to them, helpful to me. Everyone's happy, but it's been done with charm and persuasion, not with shouting. Hi, everyone. It's Shandawal, and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do your managers know how to build an effective team? Can they create an environment where teamwork is encouraged while setting appropriate benchmarks and delivering projects on time? Are they able to align expectations so their team works effectively toward common goals? You hired the right team. Now let us help you develop them. Crosscom offers a robust leadership development program that focuses on results. Each month, participants learn and apply key leadership skills and tools that will unite teams and drive organizational growth. We are serious about accountability. After each class, we help participants apply those leadership skills in group coaching sessions. Are you ready to take your leadership development to the next level? Contact us at crosscom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now, back to our podcast. You have such great insight. And I know one of your videos talks about how I do what I do or how you do what you do. And you have this like profound insight and way of seeing the sales process that's inspiring and empowering and accessible. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you do what you do? Yeah, cool. So as far as sales go, there are four words that matter. The first two are sales up and the other two are time down. In other words, we want to generate as much sales, as much positivity as we can, but we want to do it as quickly as possible. So the video, How I Do What I Do, talks about how I make my sales go up when my time goes down. And I mean, I know a lot about this anyway, but I started studying it a while ago because I wanted to stop working on Fridays. But I knew if I stopped working on Fridays, my business is obviously going to shrink by a fit. So I thought about it and analyzed what I did with my time and very carefully analyzed it. And as a result of that, I stopped working Fridays and my business grew by a third. So I thought, well, that doesn't even make sense. And it's because what I did was I made sales go up and time go down. So for example, here are some things which I find super helpful. So if you're watching this video and want your sales to go up and or your time go down, here are four quick wins for you. Um, Number one, the first thing I did is I looked at the outcomes of everything. So when I go into a meeting, I never go into a meeting saying, hey, we're here for an hour and we're going to talk about A and B and C and D. Instead, what I now say is I now say, welcome to the meeting, everyone. The outcomes we're aiming for are X. And as soon as we've achieved it, we'll stop the meeting. So rather than say we're discussing this for an hour, I say we're looking to achieve this at the end of it. Let's get there as quickly as we can. Now, if you do that, it doesn't sound a big thing, Jen, but if you do that with every meeting, every conference call, every email, every conversation, you find that you lose so much time you were wasting. So that's the first thing. Second thing as an extension is I banned one-hour meetings. 
So I never have a one-hour meeting with anybody ever. Most corporate meetings last an hour. And the reason most of them last an hour is because they did last week. Even if last week's dragged on and the week before dragged on, well, we'll have another one for another hour. It's just ridiculous that we do that. So I banned one-hour meetings. And now the average length of my meetings is under 20 minutes, which means I might have three meetings at the same time that some people are having just one. And each of my three meetings are focusing on outcomes, whereas the one-hour meeting is not focusing on outcomes. It's just discussing stuff. So they were two things. So number one, focus on outcomes. Number two, no one-hour meetings. The third thing I did, and this sounds a little strange, um, is I stopped doing face-to-face meetings unless I had to. Now, with my colleagues, I have face-to-face meetings. With potential customers, I try to have fewer face-to-face meetings. And I coached my PA about this. And I heard her on the phone the other day. It was brilliant. Because someone said to her they wanted an hour face-to-face meeting with me. And so Emma said, um, I don't need, um, you don't need an hour with Andy. He's really quick at things like this. 30 minutes, 20 minutes should be fine. And the other person I could hear say very positively, okay, that's great. Thank you. And then she said, also, his calendar is very full. So he's going to struggle to make a one-hour meeting anyway for a while. And um, why don't we just have um, uh, a telephone meeting instead of a face-to-face meeting? And again, the person thought, this is great. So I'm getting 20 minutes, not an hour. It's going on the phone, not face-to-face. It sounds like it's in the other person's interest, but it's saving us time. And the reason I really like this one is then the person said to Emma, obviously, actually, on reflection, I do quite like face-to-face meetings. And Emma said, have you seen Andy's face? (laughs) (laughs) That was his reaction to She goes, I'll put in a phone call. And he goes, okay. Put the phone down, (laughs) laughing. But what he got was a 20-minute telephone meeting. He'd asked for a one-hour face-to-face, and I would call up just perfect selling. And um, the fourth thing, and this is so we've got three so far, focus on the outcomes, no one-hour meetings, as few face-to-faces as possible. And the fourth one is a strange one, but most people I meet, Jen, are much better in the morning than they are in the afternoon. It's like you have lunch and people fall off a cliff. So <laughs> all I did, and this sounds so childishly simple, is I put my lunch break back by two hours. And what I found was instead of eating at 12 o'clock and then being a bit rubbish after lunch, I had two hours longer. So I had a little snack at 12 o'clock, but not much. And I had lunch at two o'clock. So that meant I had a longer morning and a shorter afternoon. And you wouldn't believe what a difference it made. So obviously that won't work for everyone, but just little things like that, all incremental marginal gains meant that I stopped working Fridays and my business grew by a third. Right. Well, and the the interesting thing about what you just shared is that there was relatively, I don't think I heard any financial investment in terms of making this, right? You were able to push your time out by two hours, push that lunch out. You were able to take time back by only scheduling the 20 minutes. You're Mm -hmm. very focused on those outcomes. Like all of the solutions that you proposed are low cost. There's something that you could do right now, today. Absolutely. They're low cost. That's right. Yeah, they're low cost and they're low risk. You know, uh, so, I mean, here's another one you could do straight after today. So focusing on outcomes. When So anyone watching this video now, when you're sending an email, before you write the email, ask yourself, what action do I want the reader to take? Like, what's the outcome? And let's say you want the reader to, I don't know, send you the figures for the month. Then just write that at the top of the email. Please, can you hit reply and send me the figures for the month? That's the outcome. And then you think, what will I do with the outcome? And you write underneath. So you might then say, please send me this month's figures. And then I'll put them in the presentation for the board. 
Now, can you see, once you've written that, the length of your email just disappears because there's nothing else to say. You know, you might call the email something like a quick question to ask. So now the other person, let's say you're writing to somebody called Bob, Bob gets an email saying a quick question to ask, that's the subject line, opens it up, and you say, please, can you hit reply and send me the figures, and then I'll put them in the board report. Well, imagine if you could do that every single email. It's not just low cost, it's low risk. And you were sending the email anyway, so it actually saves you time. Right. And the time saving is huge because we all have so much going on. And the last thing we want to do is necessarily like sit down in front of an email and be bogged down by two paragraphs trying to understand what the sender is looking for. That's maddening, right? Or especially when people do the see below and then make you read an entire email chain to try and figure out what the point is. That is absolutely a bad piece of mind. Yeah. No, thank you. Just reminding me of a good one I did the other day. I had an email which was about this long from one of my customers. Um, And so I quickly rung her up and said, um, hey, Julie, thanks for your email. So firstly, she was amazed I rung her up because she replied to an email with an email, right? That's what everyone does. So I picked the phone up and said, hey, Julie, thanks for your email. So she's like, whoa, that is good customer service. And I said, I'm just popping out in a minute. Very quickly, what is it you want me to do with the information you've sent me? And she said, oh, can you just answer the question at the bottom of paragraph three? So I said, right, will do. Put the phone down. Go to paragraph three. Go, the answer's 12. And she's delighted. She's got what she wanted. It took me 10 seconds instead of that 10 minutes of just hating the person who's emailed you. Right. You know, the other thing that like of what you just said, that's of huge value to how the work landscape has changed. All of these work really well with the remote employees, right? So just instead of having that hour long face to face meeting, picking up the phone and calling them and talking to them for 20 minutes instead of leaving your communication to be a virtual exchange. So really just connecting and you can, it's a short time investment and you get higher engagement just by being able to, maybe it is over video or maybe it's over the phone, but at least you can go back and forth a lot quickly to make sure you're on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And you've just, um, so I love this conversation. You reminded me of things I should have been saying anyway. So thank you. (laughs) So here's another quick win for everyone. If you do ring your team um, working remotely, and very often people ring because they want an update, you know, to know what's going on. And I say, if I say to you, give me an update, you probably don't quite know what I want an update on. So you will probably talk a bit too long. And then I will talk too long. And the whole conversation was too long. Um, so I always say, to, always advise to my customers, rather than having a meeting called update, what you do is you call it best, worst, next. So when you ring a member of your team, you say, and, and you let your team know this is what you want in advance so they can prepare. And you say, very quickly, just two minutes, uh, best thing, worst thing, next thing. You know, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? And um, what's the worst thing? How can I help you with that? And next thing, what are you planning to do next week? You know, so what's been the best success? What is your biggest challenge? And what are you doing next? Now, imagine if we had a conversation like this. In two minutes, I would know what you were pleased with, what you were worried about, and what you're doing next. I can maybe have a two, three-minute conversation with you. I can tell you my best, worst next. And we put the phone down five, ten minutes later, but it's so rich. You know, it's not an update. It's not boring. It's just bang, 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 quick, and then we carry on. Right. And so for the people that aren't necessarily um, have that developed skill set, you're adding structure. Right? You're saying like, this is yeah. your focus. Here's your structure so you can make sure that that person gets what they need. You get what you need. And here's an easy way to do it from best, worst, next. I love that. We have a team Thank meeting you. at 11. I think I'm going to have to introduce that into our team meeting. 
You're so, welcome. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, your online video club and some of the different videos you had out there. And I kind of cherry picked a few that seemed really intriguing to me. And But there are so many other topics that we won't even be able to cover here, but we're going to dive right in. Um, so we know that every leader needs to know how to sell. It's not just about selling a product or service. Sometimes it's just making sure that you're influencing people. But Mm-hmm. One of your videos is talking about the three steps to winning more sales. And you have yeah. the three steps of best practice selling. What mm-hmm. are the three steps of best practice selling? Okay, so the three steps are this. So, so I managed to get them beginning with ABC, which I was quite pleased with because when you're in the middle of a sale or an influencing, it can be stressful and it's hard to remember the right order. So if you remember ABC, no matter how stressed you are, you have to do A first. And when you've done that, it's quite easy to remember B. So the A stands for afters. And what I mean by afters is finding out where the other person wants to be afterwards. So let's say that we are making an external sale. um, And let's say we are... um, So it's me talking to a potential customer. So if they say, Andy, we're thinking we might hire you for our conference. Rather than me say, tell me about your conference, I will say... Okay, thank you. Can I ask you some questions so I can give you relevant information about me? Now, of course, they're going to say, of course, they're not going to say, no, be irrelevant. So they say, what do you want to know? And I say, well, you know, after the conference, the conference is on a Wednesday. What sort of things do you want to see your team doing on the Thursday and the Friday and the week afterwards? You know, what's the impact you're looking to cause here? So that's always the first question. The question is not tell me about the the project, the question is, tell me about the afters of it. So if you're a marketing agency, you don't say, tell me about the campaign. You say, what business benefits do you want the campaign to bring? You know, if you're an attorney, you don't start off by saying, tell me about the case. You say, what's your end game here? What are you looking to get out of it? And so as long as we know the future good, because actually that's why people buy things. You know, I don't buy a newspaper because I want a newspaper, but after buying the newspaper, I've got the information. So I don't want a newspaper, I want information. I don't want toothpaste, I want clean teeth. I don't want an attorney, I just don't want to go to jail. (laughs) I don't want a CPA, I just want to pay less tax. So we don't want the thing, we want the afters of the thing. So our job job firstly is to find the afters people want. So we ask future-based questions. So that's the A thing. Once somebody has told me the afters they want from the conference, I want my team to be doing this, 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 I then go to the B phase. And the B stands for build certainty. So once someone says, well, I want my team um, getting out more to meet potential customers, I then go into the B phase and say, oh, I can definitely help you with that. For example, and then I might give a story how I helped another customer in the past. So a great way to build certainty is to do stories. Another great way to build certainty is to teach people things they didn't know. Because when they hear something they didn't know, they go, oh, Andy's clever. I didn't know about that. Or... Presscom's got some great insights. I didn't know about that. So A, ask questions to find the afters. And then B, say, I can help you with that. And then you build certainty. And then the C stands for close. And that's where you close the sale. Now, there's various ways that you can close. But the simplest way to do it is to offer options. So rather than me saying, I can help you. It's going to cost $10,000. Do you want it or not? Well, he might say, not. It's like if I say to Chow Ford, do you want to go to bed or not? (laughs) I can tell you, he'll say not. But if you give somebody options and you say to the customer, well, the good news is there's two ways we could do this. 
you know, option one is blah, blah, blah. That's $10,000. If you want and you can invest a bit more, we could do option two, which will be this, 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 this. That's $15,000. Which of these two do you prefer? And then the customer's not thinking, do I buy from Andy? They're thinking, which do I buy from Andy? So let me very quickly run through the ABC again. A, afters. Find where they want to be after working with you. B, build certainty. Prove they'll get those afters by telling story and teaching and so on. And then C, close it off. Maybe by offering options with different price points and then saying, which do you prefer? So it's as simple as that. Afters, build certainty, close. That's what the world's best salespeople do. They might not use those words, but that's what they do. Find the customer's happy place and then prove you can get them there. You know, I love that notion of finding the happy place via the afters, because I think especially when you're new to understanding how to influence, you might understand the concept of knowing people's pains, right? Understanding what you're trying to help them with. But sometimes we get stuck in talking about the pains and we probably create a long list of what these pains are costing them instead of saying, really, what do we want to accomplish by alleviating or solving these pains? And so I love that it's initially putting people into that strategic mindset of thinking, okay, this is where we want to go. Here we are. Instead of just living in the, oh my gosh, this is awful. This isn't working. Sales are bad. Engagement's low. You know, whatever someone else someone else's pains are. So I love that. And then to build certainty, right? And then, you know, of course, close the sale. So that's a really easy, like ABC, obviously, it's a really easy way to remember how you can approach the sales process and how you can differentiate it. And I'm not going to just say sales. It's how you can approach influencing people. Absolutely. And the great thing, of course, yeah, it is. It's a beautiful, it's a helpful way. So I remember I said before about helping that bank win that big deal worth billions of, of pounds. And um, when I'd had the conversation with them to start with, I'd done the afters thing and I found that the afters was they wanted to win the deal and that it was worth this two and a half billion pounds and it was strategically essential they won it. So I found all these things out. And then when we did the build certainty and then when we did the close, um, I put my price in for the various options and they said, that sounds great, Andy, but it is quite expensive. Can you do anything about the price? Now, because I'd already had the afters conversation, when they said, can you do anything about price? I said, absolutely. I can put it up if you want, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> they, they didn't. Um, and they said, put it up. What do you mean? I said, this is worth all this money to you. Like, I'm charging you this much. It's not even a flight on the windscreen of a truck, the amount of money I'm charging. It is tiny compared to the value. I don't understand why you're asking me to drop the price. And then they said, yeah, but you might only be here for like two or three days. And I said, yeah, I know. And then you'll make two and a half billion pounds in two or three days. I, I don't understand what, 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 why you're asking this question. And they said, but we might be paying you quite a lot of money for just two or three days. And I said, do you want me to take longer? <laughs> and they went, uh, no, fine. <laughs> I can draw because, this out if you'd like. <laughs> because, because this is helpful selling. Because... What they wanted is they wanted sales up for them, time down. But because I knew what it was worth to them and I knew they wanted it quickly, the most valuable thing I can do is help them win it quickly. So therefore, I put in a price which is tiny compared to what they're doing. And that's what I would call gold selling because they made this much money and I made this much money. But both of us were happy. You know, Andy, 
you, okay. Right. You had obviously in that example that you gave, there was, there was a resistance, right? They wanted to Uh say, can we adjust the price? Can we pay you less? And you were obviously offering the value and you're very confident in what you do, but to someone that may encounter resistance, Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for them to be able to stay confident and hold, you know, really believe in their value offering and what that worth is? Okay, that is a great question. So here we go. Um, it is all to do with the power of the afters. So remember I said the A, B, C, the A stands for afters. And um, many, many years ago, and when I only did sales training, so no consultancy, no sales presentation creation, no, no, no conference speaking, no, I just did sales training. And, and what I saw was people were paying for the day because, you know, it's a training day and my rate per day is this. Um, and I found it quite scary because when someone said, can you drop your price? I then had my own worries about my own self-worth. I mean, I'm, the stuff's in my head anyway. Am I not being rude just telling them? Should I not just tell them? Because we all know that I know the answers now. So and I had a big trouble with that. And then I suddenly realized they're not paying for the training on the day. They're paying for the sales that happen after the day. And let's say they make sales of, let's use a small number, um, $1,000. And if they paid me $50, well, that's a very good return on investment. Now let's make the numbers bigger. If they made $100,000 and they paid me $5,000. So I began to realize they weren't paying for me talking on Tuesday. They were paying for the sales they would get on the Wednesday. So it's really important, not just for the customer, but for you as the salesperson, that you understand the afters that the other person wants. And the only way to do that is to ask good questions. My two favorite questions, and I asked these when I was nervous early on, I ask these now when I'm much more confident. The first question is, what impact do you want this to cause? You know, what's the afters? What what do you want to happen after this? And the second question, and this is so powerful, is help me understand what, why is this so important? What's it worth to you if you achieve this impact? So the first question has the word impact in it. What impact do you want? And the second question has the word worth in it. What's it worth to you if you get there? So once somebody says, the impact I want is I want my sales team to be better. I want them to sell more stuff. I want to say, what's that worth to you? If they say, well, we've got a team of 20 They've got targets of a million dollars a year each, $20 million. Anything that gets to nearer $20 million, I would find that very valuable. Then can you see what happens to my confidence there? They're not looking at Andy as someone who's running in to do a training course. They've actually said the word $20 million. They see someone who might help them get nearer the $20 million. It's great for their confidence. But in answer to your question, it's great for my confidence too, because I'm now an enabler of $20 million. I'm not just someone who's rocking up training. Right. And confidence, I mean, I like to say confidence is the key to happiness. Confidence is the key to everything that we're doing, but confidence is the key to influence. And I love that way of looking at the afters to say they're not just looking at you and buying your product for what it is today. They are investing in you for what you can bring them tomorrow. And it's not, that's that's a great way for someone that's new, that's entering this process to think like, remember, it's not all about you. You're here to help them open up these opportunities down the line. And that's why you are able to charge what you are charging. And that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there are two things I promise you, your customers don't want. Number one is you. And number two, (laughs) 
It's your products and services. I can promise you they don't want you or your products and services. What they want is them. And what they want is the afters of your products and services. So you rocking up and saying, hi, my name's Andy. I've been an attorney for 20 years and I'm really good at law. I will go, nah. <laughs> if someone comes up and say, you know how you're about to go to court and face a fine of $20 million? Well, I can get you out of both of those. Well, that's entirely different. Customers don't want to hear you say how great you are. They want to hear you say how great you can make them. Yes. All right? And if, if I could teach any salesperson anything, that's the one thing. They don't want to hear how great you've been in your past. They want to hear how great their life is going to be in the future. And once you've asked the impact question and the worth question, both you and them are now talking about the future happy place that they want. And your confidence, I promise you, goes up when they said this is worth $20 million to me. Yeah. And that's right. It's not about you. I've always been told, or I've been told this once throughout my life or so, but it's stuck with me and that you have three seconds to win someone over. And mm-hmm. they are only thinking about what's going on in their head and their life and their responsibilities. And so you have to always remember they're only thinking about themselves. Just like when someone's talking to us, we're only thinking about ourselves and our needs. It's mm-hmm. not about you. It's not yeah. personal. You don't have to you know, berate yourself or criticize yourself if you don't nail it perfectly. You just have to really get and step into their shoes to understand why they would want to listen to you. Mm. And all of it, you're so right, and all of it stems from you have to ask good questions. Yeah, you have to ask good questions. I don't know any salesperson in the world who is brilliant who doesn't ask good questions. I mean, I've met a lot of extremely powerful salespeople, and every single one of them is brilliant at asking questions. So some homework for someone watching this video, I would suggest when you press pause at the end of this video, Write down five brilliant questions to uncover someone's afters. Yeah. Then work out your best friend, as we say in Liverpool in England, where I'm from, your best friend, your number one contact. Go and have a cup of coffee with them and say, what are your favorite five questions? And get a list of good ones. Because once you've got them, it's so empowering for you and it's so helpful for the customer. And good sales, the ABC hinges on you asking good questions. I promise you, your confidence skyrockets when you know good stuff to ask. Hi everyone, it's Jen Dewall and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do you lose staff due to burnout? Do your leaders have the skills they need to deal with the stress of working in a fast-paced, ever-changing environment? With Crestcom's Leadership Development Program, your team can see measurable results that are proven to change behavior. See why our program has reached over 1 million individuals around the world and counting. Unlock your team's true potential and give them the tools and skills they need to manage the challenges of tomorrow. Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now, back to our podcast. One of my favorite questions, and this is what I like to ask just in an organization when you have leadership that's requesting things, and that's, what does success look like for you? Yeah. To really make sure that we're on the same page because my vision of success might be different and it's a great opportunity to uncover where that disconnect is and bridge the gap. Um, mm-hmm. what is, what, what's, what's one of your favorite questions? Um, so I love, well, so the two I said before, what impact do you want and what, what's 
uh, what's it worth? Um, um, another one which I ask, and this is good for anyone who does any advisory stuff like coaching or consulting and so on. Um, um, so sometimes when people call me in uh, for training or conference speaking, um, I ask, so obviously any training or speaking I do will have an impact. How long do you want that impact to last? And people always look at me a little bit like you're looking at me now, like, what? I haven't thought of that question. And, and what I mean by that, and then I just say, well, sometimes people haven't even thought of it and they just want good happy sheets at the end of the day. So, so no business impact. I just want a nice day. Sometimes people want a short-term impact whereby people use a few things and then maybe just go back to what the world was like. But most companies who I speak to want a long-term impact where we actually change people's habits. So a year from now, they're doing things differently. So I just wondered with your company, how long do you want the impact to be? Now, the reason I love that as a question is almost everyone goes through this mental thing of thinking, hmm, before he asked that question, I hadn't thought of that question, and I was just going to do happy sheets. But now Andy said it like that, clearly the only answer to that is I want a long-term impact. So they're, they're already learning from me. And then when they say a long-term impact, I then follow it up by saying, okay, well, the thing that um, dictates people's long-term behavior the habits that they're in. What plans have you got in place for changing the habits? And that's when they just look at me almost in tears going, I haven't thought about that either. <laughs> and they go, I can help you with that. Yeah. So uh, two really good questions. How long do you want the impact to be? And then when you explain, do you mean long term? And then when they say long term, the follow up question, what plans have you got already to change people's habits to get this long term change? I love both those questions because both of them teach the client. Do you remember I said build certainty by teaching? They teach the client something they haven't thought of. It shows the clients, I know more about this maybe than they know about it. It gets them thinking, but also they're thinking, I'd love to have this next conversation with Andy because if he's taught me something with just two questions, what might happen next? So I promise you, anyone listening to this, write down five questions, go and speak to someone else and get some really good questions. It is the best differentiator you can get. Right. Well, in, in those questions, it sounds like you want them to be open-ended, right? Open-ended questions where you can get your audience to really think about it. And so it's not just a yes or no, where it's easy to back out and say, well, yes, of course I want growth. That's a dumb question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, I might ask a couple of close questions just to get them talking, you know, like, how are you? Are you more interested in growth or, or whatever it might be? But then um, I, I, you're so right. I want to ask the open questions. And then um, once I've asked the open questions, however they respond, oh, actually, this is my favorite sales question. However someone responds, I then say, can you tell me more about that? Uh-huh. That's my favorite sales question of all. Because anytime you say, can you tell me more about that? Do you know what happens is they always tell you more about that. Well, and people love talking, especially about themselves and their situation. We all do. It's nothing like it's no judgment. That's just how we are. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, in your online video club, you also have something that I think is so valuable to every leader or anyone that's in a sales position or anyone that's in a position of influence, which is how to manage when they say no, which is the dreaded response that we don't want to happen. But mm-hmm. what the heck happens? I mean, I know that you've got some great insight to that. Like, how do you manage when someone says no to you? Because I know my response sometimes 
being a very stubborn person, I can get really frustrated and, you know, angry and just start to, you know, instead of thinking like, wait, there's got to be a more logical way I could approach this. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So the the thing is, I mean, people often use the word objections for this or concerns. Um, I I mean, I love the fact you just use the word dread. That's the word I dread. I, I, I call it my dreads, the stuff I dread people asking. Can you drop your price? Um, we already have a supplier who does what you do. Um, we're a multinational and you're just one bald man from England. Um, we don't like consultants. We've had bad consultant experience before. Uh, we think sales is a dirty word. You know, all this. So I have my list of dreads like, like you will have yours, like everyone watching this will have theirs. And the most important thing I can share with you is this. The reason you dread this stuff is be- not because they say it. What you dread is you don't know how to respond when they say it. So if you knew how to respond, you wouldn't dread it. So like you probably don't dread someone saying, do you think grass is green? Because you know the answer to that. You don't dread them saying, do you think grass is blue? Because you have the answer to that. But you do dread, can you drop your price, please? Because you don't have the answer to that. So the only solution, the only solution to removing stuff you dread is to know in advance what you're going to say in response. So what I did a few years ago is I spent half an hour a day for about three weeks. So quite a time investment. But if you think, if you start doing exactly the same thing as I did, three weeks from now, anyone watching this video, three weeks from now, you won't have any dreads left. Because all I did is I worked out really good scripts that I was going to say in response. So I'll give you some examples so I can show what I mean here. So what I did was I I found a friend who I liked. um, And I said to them, I hate it when the customer says, you're too expensive. So can we do a little role play? And all I want you to say is, you're too expensive. And I'm going to just verbally respond. Whatever I say, ignore it. And just say, you're too expensive, and I'll have another go. And then ignore it and say, you're too expensive, I'll have another go. And I want to try and say different things. Now, the reason you have to do it verbally is because if people write, they often write differently to how they speak. So you don't want to be writing it down, you want to talk about it. But the other thing is, your first answer will, I guarantee, be rubbish because you're dreading it anyway. And therefore, your answer won't be very good. That's why you dread it, because your answer isn't very good. So I sat down with this person who I trusted, and they said, you're too expensive. And I started off, Jen, with some oh, terrible answer. I said something like, well, I think if you extrapolate the benefits you'll get from working with me and compare it to the cost, you'll find the return on investment, particularly over a number of years, is, is very strong. <laughs> and then they just looked at me and said, you're too expensive. Oh, ah, and I have to try it again. <laughs> And I came up with another answer. And then they went, you're too expensive. And after my third one, it still wasn't very good. And they went, you're too expensive. And we carried on doing this. And then gradually, I got a bit crosser. (laughs) And as I got crosser, my answer got a bit more clipped. It was never rude. It just got a bit more um, to the point. And then on about the fifth or sixth time round, they said, you're too expensive. And I said, oh, I don't often hear that. Why would you say that? And they said, that's it. That's your answer. And I said, why? He said, that was brilliant. Because when you say, when the customer says you're too expensive, they speak from a position of power and authority. I'm the customer with the wallet and I'm saying you're too expensive. 
And when you say, oh, I don't often hear that, why'd you say that? It takes all that power away because they think, you don't often hear that. Right. Hmm, why, don't, why don't you hear that? And also, because I finished with a question, it puts the ball back in their court, so they have to respond. And so then when I do that, and I've been saying that answer, Jen, for years now, and, and then when people respond, they go, well, your competitors are cheaper than you. And so then I would do the role play with that <laughs> because your competitors are cheaper than you. Well, I think you'll find you're comparing apples with apples. Your competitors are cheaper than you. So we just did this thing again. So my answer when somebody says you're too expensive is I say, I don't often hear that. Why'd you say that? If somebody says, can you reduce your price a bit? I say, absolutely. What bits would you like to take out of my proposal? So again, finishes with a question to hand the ball back to them. If someone says your competitors are cheaper than you, this is my favorite one, actually. I then say, good. And they just look at me. And I said, because that means my company is the same as yours. We both have competitors who are worse than us. But I thought you wanted the best possible results, sir. Have I not understood that correctly? Now, you can hear how powerful that is because if someone says, how can they answer? Yeah. And so I promise you, Jen, this did not come up five minutes. This was half an hour a day for three weeks. None of my clients now care. I did that once. But if I hadn't done that once, I wouldn't have my dread answers set up. Right. Okay, so quite a long answer to your question. Let me give you the short answer. Stuff you dread, work out scripts. Right. Well, and work out the scripts because it builds confidence, right? The more that you can anticipate it, because especially with a lot of the things, whether we're having a, a very big conversation that may not resonate with people or they may have concerns and questions, or if we're going into a pitch meeting or a sales meeting, Remember that like what you can control are mm -hmm. your own questions. You can mm -hmm. always control the questions that you ask. So if you don't necessarily have that response, I love how it's about taking that power struggle and, you know, owning your worth and saying, okay, well, tell me more or what would that look like for mm -hmm. you? Or what do you want me to take out? So it's, yeah. you know, it helps to break down that fear that I think comes up for people where it's like, holy crap, here's the final moment that we've all been waiting for. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And they may not want that. And it's like, oh no, I, I have this because I have my script work like worked out. I know that I'm going to ask them questions to uncover more information. I love that. Again, it's really just helping you set yourself up for success in, you know, just thinking and being more strategic about it up front and doing that essential preparation. Mm. He's so right. And, and of course, another thing reduces people's nerves is uh, as far as price goes, is if uh, you offer two options with different prices. Because if I just say, I can help you, Jen, but it's going to be $10,000, straight away my brain thinks, what's she going to say to the $10,000? But if I say the good news here, Jen, is there's two ways I can help you. This way is 10,000 or this way is 15, which you want to do. I don't feel so scared saying it because I'm offering you a choice. It's not all on one. If you don't like either, I can say, what do you suggest instead? And we're having a peer-to-peer, -peer, very friendly very friendly chat, you know? Right. These are just people you're doing business. It's people doing business with people. Yeah. We're just trying to figure out the best solution, but yeah, we complicate it in our heads sometimes because it can be intimidating, especially if there's a lot on the line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, your online video club obviously covers the essentials that help people be successful within sales, but you also include an emphasis on, you know, having 
a life, right? Like having a life outside of sales and what you can do to rejuvenate yourself or to take care of yourself. Out of curiosity, why was that important to include that in your online video club? Um, well, thank you for asking that question because most people don't. They just want to know how to sell more. Um, <laughs> so, um, but actually, I put it in because it, it is just pivotal to your. How can I put this? What you're like on your outside is really affected by your inside. So if you are getting pretty busy at work and you're not getting home enough and you're not seeing your husband or your wife enough or maybe your children and your home life is suffering a little bit, it's very hard to feel in balance. Um, and it's hard to express yourself with confidence, I find, if I don't think I'm getting things right in the right order. Right. So, and I mean this with the utmost respect to all my customers, my main priority in life are my, my family. So, therefore, what I do is the thing that goes in my calendar first is my main priority. So, at the beginning of each year, we think, when am I going to take off? Every Friday, I'll try and take off as much of August as I can when it's a school vacation. We'll have those two weeks at Christmas. We'll also do this. So, before my year starts, I have got my number one priority in. The second thing I do is I then think, when can I learn to make sure that I keep interested and I keep interesting? So I then start putting in my calendar when I might look at my own self-development. And I find that if I get those two right, so I'm learning right and my balance is right, then it gives me a platform on which to build. I see so many people who get in bad habits because when they start in business, understandably, they do everything they can for their business. And you absolutely have to, to get the momentum. But then all of a sudden, they're 30 years down the line and they're still doing everything they can for their business. And they're sometimes not seeing their, their, their partners or their children or their friends or doing their hobbies. And they've become a business doing thing instead of a happy, full person. And so the reason I put that on there was when there's three promises I make with the video club, sales, enjoyment, love, you'll, you'll sell more, you'll enjoy selling more, and you'll love your life and you'll love your videos or you get your money back. Because I don't want to just give people sales skills that help them sell more such that they don't see their family. I want to help people get sales, enjoyment, and love so they have an enriched life both inside and outside work. Oh my gosh, Andy, I love that. The sales, enjoyment, and love, it's, it's just so important. It really is. And I love that you used the word love, right? As something yeah. that we can aspire aspire to have more of or to enjoy, whether that's with our family or our friends or the things that we just genuinely enjoy doing, like our hobbies. But I love yeah. that there's that emphasis on, you know, finding and making room, especially upfront. So when you're thinking about your strategic goals, what do I want this to look like? Making sure that you carve out space for the things that are going to bring you joy, the things that are going to fuel your success, the things that are going to excite you, the things that will only continue to build love and excitement and create that beautiful ripple effect for everyone that you touch. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that even in the sales process, the more that you're able to design that well-rounded life that fills you up, you have to be contagious, even for the people that you interact with in your business. Whether you're selling to them or not, you can relate as people. Sure, absolutely. And and first and foremost, like I, I, I love the success that I've had, and I love the success my customers have. But I, I, I'm just a nice guy, and I want to be happy, and I want people who are around me to be happy. I want my colleagues to be happy. So the other day, for example, my PA got in contact and said. Um, 
I, w- I was running a workshop. So she just got in contact and said, something's kicked off at home. I need to go. Um, I'll, I'll crack on with work later on. I trust her implicitly. And so I just sent her a note as soon as I got that message and said, don't do work tonight. Sort out whatever it is. We'll catch up tomorrow. It's fine. Because her life is more important than her work life. That's what I want her to think. And that's what I want her to think, I think. Yeah. So the job she does with me, and she is brilliant, is supposed to facilitate her life. It's not supposed to take over her life. And, and so like everyone has to be in balance. And that's why I have to do a video on it. Because I can't get sales and enjoyment and love if you're selling more, but your family life is suffering. That's not what I'm aiming to do here. Right. Oh my gosh, I've really, really liked our conversation a lot, Andy, so much. It's been really, really nice, but I know that we have to wrap it up. So I have to finish with the last question that we ask everyone that's on the Leadership Habit podcast, and that is, what is your leadership habit for success? Wow. I've got an exciting one, and I've got an important one. I'll do the important one first because this is just really important. It's critical, and that is follow-up. So it's not sexy, hardly anyone says this, um, but follow-up. And by follow-up, I mean, at the end of each day, I have three Ds. Um, I do all my follow-up actions, um, or I put in my diary or my calendar when I'm going to do my follow-up actions. And the other D is discipline. When it comes up in the calendar, I make sure I do it. So that way, I never forget anything. I always follow up on everything. Everyone can rely on me all the time. It is not sexy, but it's part of my brand. So for all the lovely stuff people say about me, I always want people to say, and do you know what? He would never let anyone down. So that's the follow-up. Not sexy, but really business critical, life-changingly important. And, and the exciting one and is, is just the concept of afters. Like we don't do stuff, we cause stuff. Yeah. If I was a lawyer, my job is not to be a lawyer, it's to cause my clients to not go to jail. My job is not to be a consultant, it's not to be a trainer, an author, a speaker, it's none of those things. As far as my family goes, it's someone who's lovely to be around, loves the slots, and he always has this in his mind. As far as my customers go, it's sales, it's enjoyment and love. That's what he brings us, and that's what my job is, and I'd much rather do that than be a consultant. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to share your expertise and your experience and your tips for success with us. I really, really mean it when I say I enjoyed our conversation. And to everyone listening, you know, I love that idea of the follow-up. Sure, it may not be sexy, but it does help you stay plugged into your goals and dreams, which is very important. So thank you so much for being here, Andy. No, you're welcome. I've had a great time. Thank you, Jen, for inviting me. I hope you had as much fun with this look back as I did. The Leadership Habit Podcast will be back with new episodes after the new year. We have exciting new guests lined up and can't wait to share them with you. If you've enjoyed our series, please feel free to drop into your favorite podcasting app and write a review. Next week, we'll take a look back at my conversation with Shep Hyken, which is all about customer service and the convenience revolution. Have a great new year.